So those at age 50 that self-identified as having the strongest social networks, 30 years later at age 80, were the happiest, the physically healthiest, and had the uh, and the psychologically healthiest. Welcome to Living to Be with your host, Rayno Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self. Life can be a topsy-turvy world of ups and downs as you deal with health, spiritual growth, and self-development issues. But from the day you were born, you are meant to become who you really are and to live your destiny. Scott White is on a mission. He says he's the happiest guy you will ever meet. After spending over a decade in investment banking on Wall Street, he took a chance and became an entrepreneur and business builder. Today, he is chairman and CEO of a public real estate company. Now, Scott is on this mission to make the world a happier place, one smile at a time. With his endless energy, he motivates and inspires everyone he meets to focus on happiness, gratefulness, and positivity. His book is titled, The Life is Too Short Guy, Strategies to Make Every Day the Best Day Ever. Well, welcome to our show, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so yes. much for the invitation. <laughs> well, um, let's dig right into it. Uh, how do you make a good day out of a bad day? <laughs> So I don't think there is a bad day. Let me let All me right. start there. A lot of it has to do with perception and how you view the world. And, and there are degrees of good days. But if you start with the premise that I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm, uh, I can see you, I can talk to you, I have a roof over my head, whatever the case may be, you could fill in your own blanks. Um, instead of thinking about how bad the day is or how much better it could be, my perspective is it's a wonderful day. And it could be worse, regardless of the situation. I mean, no matter what the situation is, it, it could be worse. Yesterday, I was this time yesterday, I was on a call and I heard an alarm going off in my house. And, and I was like, oh, hold on. I, I walked downstairs and I saw water flowing in my basement because a pipe just burst. And most people would say that's a horrible day. And, and I reflected last night with my wife saying, I can't believe how lucky we are. I mean, truly lucky. I was home. I heard the alarm. I caught it quickly. Water company came quickly. Plumber came quickly. Everything's fixed. Damage is minimal. No one got hurt. Wow, this is amazing. So there's a real-time example from less than 24 hours ago of your question, how do you make a bad day a good day? I made a good day a great day. Yeah. How do you start your day when you get up in the morning? So that, that is a great question because it's one of the tools I talk about in, in my book. And, and what I say to people is, and it's funny because I took my glasses off a moment ago. I don't know if you noticed, and I deliberately did that um, in anticipation for at some point getting to the question around sort of starting your day or give me an example of a real life tool that people could use, something they could latch onto. Well, here's a real example. And, and if I were to say to you, Reno, how, what was your first thought when you woke up today? Do you remember your very first thought? You opened your eyes, what popped in your head? First thought I had this morning was, uh, well, it's going to be nice and sunny today. <laughs> That's a great thought. So, so <laughs> I am grateful you responded that way, but I will tell you most people don't. So I, I use the, and that's why I took my glass off. I use this image that I want people to think about. And it's a great tool. It's such a simple tool. When I explain it, people are, I think, skeptical. They're like, 
Yeah, maybe. And then I will tell you, I hear from people weeks and months later about how powerful this small nuance is. I say to people, when you wake up in the morning, reach over and grab either your real glasses or your symbolic glasses, okay? And you have a chance to put on three sets of glasses. Most people, and I don't have a specific statistic, most people put on the blurry glasses, the, oh, it's Tuesday, um, I need coffee, uh, I got to go to the bathroom, uh, you know, that that's sort of like, it's just another day. Most people answer, when I say, what was your first thought today? Most people are like, um... I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Mm. Unfortunately, some people put on muddy glasses, right? So they wake up and they're like, Ugh, it's Monday. It's dark. It's cold. I don't feel like getting up. I have so much to do. I have this terrible meeting appointment. Ugh. Okay. Why not reach over every day? And this is what I do every day. This morning, I reach over and I put on my bright, bright shiny glasses. I, I make this sort of move and I'm like, it's a beautiful day. It's Monday. It is, I can hear the birds chirping. I'm in bed with the woman I love. My kids are off at school having a great time. I have the opportunity to talk to Reno today. I have the opportunity to, to share my thoughts with the world. By the way, I'm now eight seconds into the day, eight seconds. And that is a real example of what I did this morning. I put on my bright, shiny glasses and I set the tone for the day. Granted, and some people say this to me, you know, that's great that you set the tone for the day and then you step out of bed and you twist your ankle or you get in the car and back out and, and back your car into another car. Understood. So I'm not suggesting that putting on these bright, shiny glasses is going to make everything perfect. What I'm saying is why not set the roadmap for the best possible day you could have? There'll be twists and turns. There'll be setbacks. There'll be issues. There'll be problems. I got it. But why not give yourself a fighting chance? Put on those bright, shiny glasses and go out and set the roadmap for the day with a positive attitude. One of the most important concepts I talk about in the book and my philosophy is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. Yeah, there's a saying that uh, stress starts with a thought. Yep. And, and uh, a, a lot of people wake up in the morning, they had a bad dream, and the whole tone of the day, the roadmap, as you say, is, yep. is, is bad for the whole day. Uh, so um, what's your technique in changing, uh, in, in, in switching into a, into, a, into good mode? So I start the day that way. There's no doubt about it. And then I look for positives. I, I focus a lot on gratefulness. Like I just gave you the example of the flood in my basement, right? Grateful, 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 grateful that so many things went well. And you could extrapolate and use that principle almost anywhere. You know, I, I sadly had to bury my father about 15 years ago. And I was grateful at the funeral for everyone that was there to be a part of it. I was grateful that I had him for as long as I did. I was grateful. And I spoke about this, that he was there to, to see me get married, to see the births of both of my children. I didn't dwell on the negative and clearly it was a very tough day. I focused on the gratefulness and that, that is that core principle of attitude is everything, you know, a related principle. So I have 10 principles in the book I talk about. Mm. A related principle is choose your attitude and own it. You have the ability to choose how you react to things, how you view the world, own it, go all in. No one controls your attitude. You do. Yeah. Yeah. We have the power of choice, don't we? Absolutely. do. And uh, so many people seem stuck in this melancholy sadness of that which was and is no more. And we have this pervasive grievance culture, I call it. And and I have my grievance with grievance culture, which which seems to affect millions of lives. Um, and I think the mass media certainly play a role in this. Oh, no doubt. Uh, 
uh, which which creates us a perception that the world is full of wars and conflicts and 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 trouble. Whereas um, at the same time, uh, there's there's another part of the world we never hear about, we never That's see. Right. Uh, we don't see the happy people. We don't see the good things that are happening at the same time. Uh, there's no doubt. In fact, that's one of the things that inspired me to write this book and to get on this mission, make the world happier. When I looked at some some statistics that just blew my mind, you know that 80% of all thoughts, 80% of all human thoughts have a negative taint to them. 90% of all news media coverage is negative. Depression rates have tripled in the last two years. Suicide in the U.S. is among the top 10 causes of death. Like those are mind-blowing statistics when you think about we live in the, the I believe, the greatest era in the evolution of human society. We, we No matter where we live, and I know you have an international audience, so I'll, I'll be very broad here. So many countries are making so many advances. We as a human society, when you look at things like medicine, when you look at things like um, uh, infrastructure, when you look at all these different things that, that the world is getting so much better at, there's so much to be grateful and happy for that that it, it troubles me. It really troubles me that people spend so much time dwelling on the negative. They spend so much time in, in states of loneliness and depression. And, and that's what I'm looking to combat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly wouldn't like to live in the Middle Ages. No doubt. No <laughs> and, doubt. And, right. And we've made huge steps, haven't we? Uh, but, Unbelievable. But, but uh, this 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 uh, um, mission you're on, uh, how can how can we reach more people uh, to to change their thought patterns? Because I think this is very much part of our genetics that we see the danger first. Uh, we, we we see the trouble ahead. This is why news media is so successful. <laughs> uh, we program to see the danger and the negative first, and we don't see uh, the positives. No doubt, right? It, it is a a massive effort. So this mission is not an easy one to make the world happier one smile at a time. But I emphasize the one smile at a time because I believe there's this ripple effect. So I'm talking to you right now and I am hopeful, optimistic that at least one of your listeners, I hope it's a lot more, but let's just be realistic. Just one of your listeners takes away one tidbit. They smile a little bit more. They think a little bit differently. They they Maybe they want to read the book. Maybe they... they uh, go home and spend some more time in a, a with family, friends, whatever they want to do to be a little bit more grateful. If I could impact one person and then that one person impacts another person and then that next person impacts another person, that's how I'm viewing this world. And that's how I actually wrote the book. So the book that, that we're talking about is called The Life is Too Short Guy. It focuses on very simple, fundamental changes. It's not, as you you sort of talked about, you know, we, we live in a culture where there's so much negativity. We have this bias towards survival. How do you change that? It's hard. It's really hard. So my book, my mission, my goal is not to change your whole perspective of the world. It's not to give you all this data and to, to have you leave this, listening to this podcast being like, wow, I'm a whole new person. That's not realistic. Instead, it's small things. It's smiling more. It's it's celebrating more. It's random acts of kindness. It's acknowledging friends. It's reaching out and building social networks. I just gave you right there five simple tools like that. You heard that and you're like, yeah, that's obvious. Now I challenge you. How much time are you spending thinking about it? How much time are you being proactive and deliberate to bring these things into your life? And then as you bring them into your life, spread them to others. That's how we're going to change the world. Yeah. And yeah. what I like to do is uh, when I when I get up in the morning, I have my my, my gratitude ritual. And then uh, before I go to sleep, I go through the same 
uh, ritual. What am I gratitude? What, yep. what, what am I grateful for uh, on this day, past 24 hours? And um, certainly uh, over, the, over time, it, it really does change a lot. Uh, you create that vibrational energy that, that then attracts more positivity. Yep. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced about that. Uh, but um, you you also um, refer to finding those those funny moments in everything, even when bad things happen. Just give us an example where where you've uh, found a funny thing in a in a in a difficult situation. Many times, many times, and and I think it's really important. I think we need to laugh more as a society. I think we need to laugh at ourselves more, laugh at people around us more, laugh at the world more. Everyone finds humor differently and finds different things funny. But everyone finds something funny. So what I encourage people to do is look at your situation, look at where you are and just laugh, be less serious. I told, again, I hate to harken back to this, but it's a big part of, of who I am in my life. Both of my parents are, are now deceased and I spoke at both of their funerals and in both of their funerals, there were lines of humor built into their eulogies. There was one situation where uh, I was literally leaning over the casket of of my father about to say goodbye. It was a small private room with just a few of us and my phone rang, right? So you want to talk about an uncomfortable situation at probably one of my lowest moments mm. in life. And, mm. you know, as you think about that situation, a lot of people are like, oh, oh my, I can't believe that the phone rang. You, you didn't mute your phone. What did you do? You know what? I took it as an opportunity. I literally reached in my pocket. I'm looking down and I'm like, hey, dad, what are you up to these days? <laughs> Everyone in the room, and there are only about a half dozen people in the room, my brother, so on and so forth. They, they pause for a minute and they're like, and then people started laughing. And it changed the tone in the room. It changed the, yes, this is the worst day. This is horrible. This is sad. This is depressing. But you know, that was kind of fun. And that's what I encourage people to do is yeah, find humor yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that creates a, a different vibration in the room. I mean, a tense situation can easily be. Uh, diffused with a bit of humor uh, and uh, uh, especially in our um, uh, culture today it's so difficult to to catch the right or touch the right tone people being so politically correct and so forth absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's, 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 it's very it, difficult it, it's a real challenge yeah <laughs> i agree but i encourage people find something to laugh at every day laugh at yourself yeah. laugh at the world around you it it helps make the world a happier place yeah. Um, now, um, you you come from uh, the business world, Wall Street, a very serious, uh, you know, serious platform. And you you made a you made a switch into um, the real estate business. Um, just take us back to what motivated you to change your life in in that respect. So my career path has been, um, I like to say to people, it's a marathon. I'm a, I'm a big runner. I run marathons. And I like to say, I look at, at my career path. And I look at most career paths. When you think about your career path and other career paths, it takes twists and turns. And, and it's not a sprint out of the gate when you graduate college and everyone's focused on what their first job is. And that, that's just an entry point into to a long life of, of a career. And I look at my career as a portfolio of various different things I've done. I I went to law school, but didn't practice law. I went to business school and then was on Wall Street, as you said. And then I did some entrepreneurial. Now I'm in real estate. And by the way, I have many more chapters to go. I'm not thinking about the retirement. I'm not thinking about the last job, so to speak. I'm thinking about future opportunities. So for me, it really has been and continues to be, 
what excites me? What interests me? What am I passionate about? How do I think differently? How do I get out of my comfort zone? And that's one of the things I encourage people to do in the book. One of the principles is take a chance and get it done today, right? You, you, you can go long life in one career or, or one type of industry and at the end get to a point where you're like, wow, there was so much more I wanted to do. I don't want to have that regret. One of the things I, I refer to in the book is a uh, a book written by uh, an Australian palliative carer called The uh, Five Regrets of the Dying. And, and she highlights sort of what people regret at end of life. And the key takeaway, the, the whole book, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in the book, so I'd encourage everyone to read it. Mm-hmm. But the key takeaway from the book, if you want to know it in one sentence, the biggest regret people have in their lives at the end of life is the regret of what they didn't Yes, and the other one is uh, the the regret uh, on what they didn't do in terms of their relationships. First, 100%. The, the relationships within the, uh, the 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 nuclear family, and no, then, yeah. then then the the relationships around the family. But the focus is on what we didn't do. So it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. just career. It, it's mm. that hobby you didn't do. It's mm-hmm. that business risk you didn't take. It's that relationship you didn't build. It's keep going through the litany of things you didn't do and stop. Do it now, right? The, uh, the book of my message is the intersection of happiness and urgency. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And too often we go through life and then need that that proverbial kick in the head. We need that that message of you know losing someone we love or being diagnosed with some serious illness or some catastrophic injury. Well, stop. We don't have to wait for that. And that's part of my message. And that's part of what I talk about in the book. I give lots of stories of people that have had those setbacks and I encourage readers and your listeners to not wait for that setback, not wait for that message. Today, this is your message. Get out and make the most of life. Take that yeah. chance. Get it done today. Yeah. Yeah. The sad thing is that um, a lot of people only make that change when they, when they have that that flat on the ground moment with right. a, a, a life-threatening disease, That's lost right. a partner, gone through a divorce, lost right. a job. Uh, that's when they make the turn. But we don't need the suffering. Why? We don't. We can. We can do. We can make the change before that. That's absolutely correct. That is. The, I mean, you couldn't have said that better. And that's part of my message: is get out and make the change today. Literally, today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, your your lessons um, learned on Wall Street. How did that help you in your uh, mission today? Coming oh, from so from a really lessons. tough business world. No doubt. Yeah. There's so many lessons and stories I tell in the book. Wall Street's a tough place to, to work, to survive, to grow. But I always looked at it as an amazing opportunity. And I talk about how, you know, I, I, I made my way onto Wall Street in a non-traditional way. I was the most grateful person to have that opportunity. You know, when I started, which was in 2000, there was a class of about 80 entry-level associates. Um, it was in investment banking, and they'd all come from some of the best business schools in the country. Mm. And many knew exactly what they wanted to do, why they were there. I didn't. I, I had this vision of being on Wall Street. I had just graduated law school. I felt a little bit like an outsider. You know, they had they had trained their whole life to become investment bankers. I had figured it out over the last couple of years. It was something I wanted to do. And my attitude was so... I will do anything. You need the windows washed, I'll wash the windows. You need the bathroom scrub, I'll scrub the bathrooms. And I will tell you, not a lot of people get into the business with that attitude. They come with with amazing credentials, they're very smart. Uh, Most of my colleagues were brilliant, 
Um, and, and there are certain things they're willing to do and certain things that they're not willing to do. I never had that attitude. And I will tell you, five or six years after I started of the original 80 that started there, there were probably a half dozen of us left. And most of the others either left on their own or were asked to leave. And in my opinion, so much of, of my survival and success, because you define success, everyone defines it their own way, was because of that attitude. I am so grateful to be here. I can't believe I had this opportunity. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to exceed expectations in everything I do. And no matter what you ask of me and no matter how hard it gets, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. And I, I live that life to this day. As life yeah. goes on, yeah. It, yeah. no matter how hard it gets or, or setbacks I face, I'm like, I can't believe I have this opportunity. I'm yeah. going to crush it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, people like to be around people who are happy, kind, friendly, yeah. grateful. You don't want to be around people who are negative. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you tend to avoid them. <laughs> uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And unfortunately, so many of those negative people impact us in so many ways, right? If you think yeah. about your yeah. day today, how many things have you read? Have you talked to? Have you listened to where you, you walked away like, meh, meh. I want people to finish this call, this this podcast, and be like, wow, this is energizing. This is exciting. I want to make a change in my life right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, now, uh, in the business world, there's often this misconception that well, when, I, when I have that million dollars, when I have my 10 million, I'll start living my life. I'll start, then I'll start living. <laughs> Uh, which is an illusion. Uh, Richard Branson right. says it so well. Um, life is all about being yeah. rather than having. <laughs> no doubt. Look, it's it's about the journey. It's about the experience. Yeah. It's about the attitude. And no matter what you have, no matter what you have, if you focus on the, the physical things, you will never reach happiness. So I, I ask people this, and I'm curious if how you answer. So if I were to tell you, you know, you have you got a new car, a new job. Uh, a new relationship, a big promotion, uh, lots of money. So five amazing things. Or I were to say you had to deal with death, illness, divorce, uh, sickness. What percent of your overall long-term happiness, not in that moment, but long-term happiness, do you think is tied to that external world? Yeah, well, you are so so right because those external things uh, you don't remember. But Wait, do you have is, any sense of what do you have any sense of what percent of your overall happiness is tied to those things? Oh, well, I would I would say about well, not even 5%. <laughs> that's a great guess. That is a great guess. Yeah, Most people yeah. don't realize that. It's about 10%, but that's an amazing guess. Most people think it's 50 to 60%. About 50% of your attitude, your perspective, your happiness is inherited. It is in your DNA and it is pre-coded. And that's just the reality, right? Some people are naturally more optimistic, more pessimistic, and that's fine. 10% is the outside world. That leaves this big, massive part of the pie, 40%, mm -hmm. that's entirely right here, right? It's how you view the mm -hmm. world. It's your perspective. It's how you approach things. It's not about getting the next job. It's not about making more money. It's not about uh, that uh, whatever physical item, that, that yacht, that uh, car. It's about how you approach the world. It's about your perspective. It's about living life every day and making the most of it. Yes, absolutely. And these external things obviously lose their shine sometimes after a few days. <laughs> you, you, you spent your you spent the past few years saving up for that that nice new car. You got the new car, and uh, after a couple of weeks at the most, the novelty wears off. 
but uh, uh, you know your relationships I think are, are, are one of the keys uh, uh, having a good uh, happy uh, uh, relationship for one thing and and of course friends I think friends are so important oh, yeah right uh, positive friends not just any friends but positive minded friends yeah. that is one of the key points that I make I'm so glad you went there and I I, I would have felt remiss if we didn't talk about it. So one of the principles, again, there are 10 principles that I talk mm. about as part of this philosophy. One of the principles is can't make it alone. And in can't make it alone, I refer to a study, which is just an amazing study that was done, it's continued to be done uh, to this day at Harvard. It started in the late 1930s. Okay, so think about how long this has been ongoing. In the late 1930s, a group of Harvard sophomores, predominantly males, uh, probably exclusively males, were selected to, to follow for the rest of their lives on what makes a good life. And then in the 1940s, so that was about 350 people in the original study. In the 1940s, about 400 or so inner city Boston area youth, so outside of Harvard, were added to the study. Those people were, were followed from call it 1940 to this day. So obviously not all are still alive. Their children are followed. Their grandchildren are followed. They do regular physical assessments, psychological assessments, surveys. I mean, you want to talk about massive data. Think about how much data is available. So what makes a good life? What's the punchline? The power of social relationships. Nothing, nothing is more important than the power of social relationships. It's not being online and, and having hundreds of friends or likes or, or thumbs up or anything like that. It's true one-on-one -on -one and sometimes in a group interaction. It's knowing there are people there that, that support you, that love you, that you can go to. The power of social networks is the most important thing for long-term happiness. In fact, one of the most important stats from that study that I love, I love because I am right now at the half century mark in terms of my own life. So those at age 50 that self-identified as having the strongest social networks, 30 years later at age 80, were the happiest, the physically healthiest, and had the, uh, and the psychologically healthiest. So they had the lowest incidence of dementia, Alzheimer's. They had the lowest incidence of heart disease and other long-term related uh, diseases. Think about how powerful that is. Yeah. Think about there's a greater correlation between friendships and networks of social interaction and your long-term happiness and health than there is the food you put in your body, than the exercise that you do. Invest in building social relationships. Yeah. I'm sure you know the book, The Five Blue Zones. Yeah, uh, yeah, where, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, where, where you have this connection, you know, uh, the centenarians, those people uh, over 100 and longer and, and older. And one of the uh, aspects uh, they find is is your your community, your social okay. relationships and, and your friends, your family. Uh, I'm, I'm so convinced that that is such a key aspect. And there's this, um, I don't know who said it, but... Uh, um, one, one, one of the famous authors that um, show me your five best friends, and I'll show, and I'll tell you who you are. <laughs> I think that's wonderful, right? You are a reflection of the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think certainly uh, avoid negative people and surround yourself with positively minded people is is uh, certainly one one big aspect. Clearly, the more you could do that, the better. But no matter what, invest in building strong social relationships. Yeah. It's not a wide net. It's not having thousands of friends. It's knowing you have a go-to 
Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a, a parent. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. You figure out what makes sense for your social network, but invest in it, build it, have that trust, have that bond, know that there are people there to support you and that you're there to support others. That's important. Uh, Scott, that's a great closing statement. How can people reach out to you? So the best thing people could do is, is find my website. It's called Life is Too Short Guy. Life is Too Short Guy.com. There you'll see info about the book. You'll see info about my speaking engagements. I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements at uh, for organizations, clubs, companies, uh, conferences. Um, you can sign up for my my newsletter there. Again, life is too short guy.com. It's great having you, Scott. And I really want to acknowledge you for uh, taking on this uh, great mission of making this world a happier and more positive place. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Living to Be with Reno Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self.